The Pacific Islands Forum this year celebrated its 40th anniversary. Radio New Zealand's Insight considers if the regional organisation can survive for another four decades. ceremony is being held in the cloud facility built on Auckland's waterfront for the Rugby World Cup. It houses the Pacific Showcase featuring 60 businesses from around the Pacific. It's intended to position New Zealand as a Pacific nation and to highlight this government's commitment to the region. chair of the Pacific Islands Forum, the Right Honourable John Key, Prime Minister of New Zealand. As the leaders were welcomed to the stage at this year's opening, there were two absences, Vanuatu's Prime Minister Sato Kilman and Papua New Guinea's Prime Minister Peter O'Neill. While Mr O'Neill made it to New Zealand in time for the leaders' retreat, Mr Kilman sent an envoy as he had to be at an important parliamentary session at home. It's the second year in a row the forum's outgoing chair, in this case Vanuatu, hasn't addressed the annual meeting. But does it matter? Or is this a sign of a wider malaise within the regional body? I'm Megan Whelan, and in this Radio New Zealand Insight, I'll consider if the regional grouping is still relevant or even achieving anything for Pacific countries. And as New Zealand takes over leadership of the forum, whether it's fair for Wellington and Canberra to be accused of bullying the smaller, vulnerable island countries. Certainly, the publicity hype promotes the forum's unity. The Forum's success in promoting regional cooperation and integration through trade has given the Forum members far greater influence in international affairs than they would have as individuals. But at the opening, the Forum Secretary-General Tuiloma Naroni Slade reminded leaders they had work left to do. Friends, 40 years ago in Wellington, seven Pacific leaders met for the first time. The aspirations of 1971 have not faltered over 40 years. In this very city in 2004, in the spirit of the Pacific Plan, forum leaders called for a region of peace, of harmony, security and economic prosperity. Mr Slade told leaders that vision still has to be realised. But the Cook Islands Prime Minister, Henry Puna, says the forum has done more than just put words on paper. I think in a lot of cases, yes, there's been a lot of concrete action. Uh, for example, the trade between the countries in the Pacific, that is very important. And also a climate change. Uh, it was important that the region speak as one voice. While questions may be asked about the Pacific nation's commitment to the forum, the international community values the regional body. The presence of the UN Secretary-General Ban Ki-moon, along with the heads of the Commonwealth, the European Commission and large delegations from the US and China were a big talking point at this year's summit. A senior US diplomat, Kurt Campbell, part of a delegation of over 50, says that reflects the broadening of the US relationship with the region. We've had very consequential meetings on a range of issues. I think the United States has determined that we want to make progress on the Tuna Treaty. There are a number of areas that we want to work together on um, maritime domain awareness, on environmental issues, on the status of women, 
throughout the Pacific. So we're we're very excited. I, I'm I'm very very satisfied and very pleased. And I must say, we've been remarkably hosted by the New Zealanders. They've just done a magnificent job. This is one of the most um, open, interesting, educational uh, meetings that I've been at. So we're just very grateful to be there. Another of those attending the wider forum meeting, the head of the Commonwealth, Kamali Sharma, says international organisations are keen to work with the forum. I sense a lot of progress from year to year. I've visited only three uh, forum meetings, but I see that there's a lot of convergence in many areas, and they're advancing down this road. And our hope and expectation is that every year we'll be able to delineate the role there is for us in partnership, both with the Forum and with these individual countries to be able to make a contribution. While the cocktail parties on the fringes of the forum featured Rarotongan dancers and New Zealand wines, the Pacific leaders themselves were often overshadowed by the international guests. News conferences scheduled to follow the meetings of the Small Island States Group and the African, Caribbean and Pacific Group are traditional opportunities for Pacific leaders to speak to the media and raise matters of importance to the smaller island nations. This year all were cancelled and the official line was scheduling conflicts with the many international guests. Instead, John Key addressed reporters along with Ban Ki-moon and the European Commission's Jose Barroso. The executive director of Vanuatu's Pacific Institute of Public Policy, Derek Bryan, says when the summits are held in New Zealand or Australia, they tend to dominate the process. I think it's quite telling that the voices that we're hearing in the media this week in Auckland are not Pacific voices. And I don't have a problem as such that the annual grouping of leaders is being elevated when it comes to New Zealand or Australia uh, to a higher level internationally. I think our time in the Pacific is such that we really need to be forcefully putting our positions on the international stage. But I think our leaders in the Pacific also need to be a little bit smarter. We're continually coming back to the division between the interests of the metropolitan members and the interests of the island members and the diverse interests of the island members We need to be asking the question, what are we all trying to get out of an annual grouping of Pacific leaders? That division between New Zealand and Australia and the island countries is just one split within the forum. The other split is between the Melanesian and the Polynesian nations. The Melanesian spearhead group set up in the 1980s includes Fiji, suspended from the forum since 2009, Solomon Islands, Vanuatu and Papua New Guinea. Since the opening of its secretariat in Port Vila in 2007, it's begun to take a larger role in trade negotiations as well as policy issues such as labour mobility and protecting traditional cultural knowledge. That's led to fears that those Melanesian countries, rich in mineral wealth and with the largest populations, no longer rate the forum. But the PNG Trade Minister, Charles Abel, says his Prime Minister's late arrival at the summit isn't an indication of that. And we understand the importance of the role Papua New Guinea plays in this region, being the biggest economy, the biggest country, and so on. And we very much want to... um, 
to raise our profile and to, to take on the responsibility of that role in a more meaningful way. We, um, we feel that that has not been happening. We feel that the MSG uh, forum as well has perhaps been uh, too engrossed in politics in that sense, and we want to remove politics out of the equation. We want to ramp up particularly the trade side of it and the importance of the Pacific uh, resources, particularly tuna, in that sense. And PNG needs to take on more responsibility and lead the small island countries so we can better access and, and, and harvest and utilise that resource for the benefit of our people. But Auckland University's Dr Stephen Rituva says he believes the Melanesian country's attention is very much focused on forming their own regional trade bloc. Given the fact that about 80% of the economic activities of the Pacific are very much located within Melanesia, there's going to be mining boom in Papua New Guinea, in Fiji, in uh, some islands in the next 5 to 10 years. So a lot of focus will be on Melanesia. And so I think they can afford to begin to be looking in that direction. And I think increasingly, although people may not admit it, the forum is beginning to outlive its relevance. And it would appear the island countries agree, with Samoa's Prime Minister Tuila Epa Salele Mela Oi announcing plans to form a sub-regional grouping of Polynesian countries. The Micronesian countries have been meeting for some time. And academic Derek Bryan says that shouldn't be seen as a threat, but an opportunity to actually get things done, especially as regional solutions haven't worked. I think we have a chance, given... The last three forums of people continually questioning the relevance of why we come here once a year uh, and the blandness of the outcomes documents and um, to actually sit back and say, you know what, it's time that we really reform this body and this grouping and look at fundamentally the overarching purpose of it. Uh, and then look at the the architecture or the the mechanisms that we're trying to do that. And I think the Secretariat, the Forum Secretariat particularly, is crying out for reform. Some Pacific countries have long called for a Secretariat that's more independent of Australia and New Zealand, and it's said that even the Polynesian countries have too much power. There's also been calls for the Secretariat to be moved away from Suva. The week before the forum, Melanesian nations called for the current Secretary-General Samoa's Tuiloma Naroni Slade to be replaced because of a perception he's too close to New Zealand and Australia. The head of Oxfam in New Zealand, Barry Coates, says the accountability of the Secretariat is at the centre of that. The problem is when you get the donors who are providing the money having too great a say in the way things work, then you get a lack of trust. And what we've seen is not only a lack of trust, but also then a whole lack of commitment for follow-up, a lack of a feeling of relevance, uh, and it really undermines the regional process of, of figuring out what, what's sensible to do at a regional level and coming together to do it. If there's a division between the Melanesian, Polynesian and Micronesian countries, the biggest split is between the island nations and the so-called metropolitan countries. The suggestion that New Zealand and Australia bully the island countries has been around for some time. A former senior analyst at the forum, Roman Grinberg, has accused them of completely dominating the organisation. Speaking from Botswana, where he now works, he says having New Zealand and Australia as both eight partners and members was a profound error of the founders. New Zealand likes to play at being little brother uh, with Australia as big brother, and it really is a tag team. 
New Zealand can be just as aggressive in the pursuit of its foreign policy interests as Australia. It just uh, does it uh, in, in, in a way that doesn't make it look quite as aggressive as Australia is. At least some of the island countries believe the view that they bow to New Zealand and Australia's pressure is unfair. Samoa's Prime Minister Tula Epa Salele Mela Elinga Oi says they are elected leaders in their own right. That kind of view seemed to be overly uh, minimising the independence and abilities of the leaders of Pacific Island countries to talk openly about issues. Certainly New Zealand and Australia are two of the 16 or 15 countries of the forum. And when issues are brought up, we talk. Nauru's president, Marcus Stevens, says they make their own decisions. If it's good for us, we're happy. If it's not, we're not, we're not going to sign up to anything. And, and do you think the forum's going to change at all with uh, New Zealand at the helm? Uh, I believe um, Prime Minister Keyes is a good man to have as a chair. He, he does, uh, he, he communicates well and he, he, he identifies the issues that are of concern and addresses them. So I believe he's a good man to have. Do you think New Zealand's focus is on the Pacific? I think so. I think New Zealand has very good foreign policy in the Pacific. Although a number of requests were made by Radio New Zealand, the Foreign Affairs Minister, Murray McCulley, wasn't available to answer questions about the forum's future. But as forum chair, the Prime Minister, John Key, was keen to sidestep some of the more controversial issues at this year's forum. A number of the issues raised in the weeks before the summit were dropped by the time leaders met for their retreat. By then, they were, as John Key described it, a happy family. As with all families, the ties that bind us together are very strong. And with all families, we have our disagreements. But it's true today as it was 40 years ago that the things we have in common are much stronger than those that separate us. The leaders' retreat is this year being held amongst the vineyards of Waiheke Island. The forum chair, New Zealand's Prime Minister John Key, says today's discussion features economic issues, including fisheries, renewable energy and tourism. That focus on the private sector and increasing economic development has been this government's policy in the Pacific. But some believe that's coming at the expense of social development and that increasingly the forum is sidelining civil society. The chief executive of Amnesty International, Patrick Holmes, says civil society is being held at arm's length. I think that's a, that's a great shame. The NGO community has something to offer. Uh, I think you know we're we're ready to engage. We're trying to engage. We're we're very happy to listen and work with Pacific leaders. And I think it's a great opportunity missed that we've not been um, engaged in in a, in a more productive and constructive way. So I, I think for the future, that's something that our leaders could uh, could take note of. The leaders did acknowledge civil society this year with a brief mention in the end-of-meeting communique directing the Secretariat to engage and bring civil society perspectives to the next meeting. And Oxfam's Barry Coates says NGOs now need to translate that commitment into action. 
which has always been a problem with, with the forum communiques. They've become a, a rather rambling kind of wish list of things that would be nice to do without necessarily the commitment and the resources and the implementation, the timetables. I think, though, this is the 40th anniversary, so it's, it's great. I think there are some positive signs that there will be follow-up. There will be a lot of pressure over the next year or two, I think, particularly from Australia and New Zealand, to make the Forum Secretariat more effective. Barry Coates says this year's communique featured a lot of nice words on climate change, but adds there have been nice words on climate change every year. However, climate change is the most pressing issue the island nations, especially Kiribati, Tuvalu and Tokelau, face. The president of Kiribati, Norte Tong, says he speaks about climate change everywhere he goes. What would you do? I would ask you the question. What would you do for your grandchildren? Would you allow them to swim? Floating islands are a concept, and I think these are, we are actually considering all the options available. I would ask you the question in maybe in 50 years' time, but we won't be around. But we have to think in these terms, in terms of our future generation. Before coming to New Zealand, the UN Secretary-General Ban Ki-moon visited Solomon Islands and Kiribati. He says that gave him a much keener sense of the challenges Pacific Island states face. For the countries of the region, climate change is not about what might happen tomorrow. This is about what is happening now, uh, today. The countries of the Pacific are at the front of the front lines of the climate change. And I share the region's concern, and I support their calls uh, for more concerted action. The frustration for the island countries is that money for climate change adaptation has been slow to arrive. Billions of dollars have been pledged but not released, or the process to apply for the more than 20 available funds is complicated and difficult. Nui's Premier Tokitalangi says leaders have been talking about climate change for a number of forums. I thought that we've been pussyfooting around, if you like, with, with some of the polite language that we, we tend to use at these meetings. And I, I suggested that perhaps we should be talking more strongly and making a stronger statement about what's been happening and the fact that we haven't been receiving the financial resources we need to help uh, some of the countries adapt and uh, mitigate against climate change. Even if the forum made strong statements as part of efforts to provide a lead over climate change mitigation and adaptation, it's still hampered by the ongoing issue of Fiji. Suva, which is widely considered the hub of the Pacific, has been suspended since 2009 over the interim regime's refusal to hold elections before 2014. The week before the summit, leaders from nine Pacific countries gathered in Nandi at the invitation of Fiji's military-led regime. Led by the Melanesian countries, they called for the suspension to be lifted. The Kiribati president, Anote Tong, says there's more support for Fiji from the island countries than might be evident. If you have six children and one is a bad young boy, what do you do with him? You kick him out? You don't. You never do. Because we're a family and we must act like a family. And so Fiji is part of this family. And our task is to continue to bring Fiji back, as you would any child, any member of the family. But John Key is adamant there's a consensus.
We are a family of nations here in the Pacific, and when one of our family members is excluded, as is currently the case with Fiji, then all of those leaders feel that and are distressed by that. I think it's equally true there's a, a strong belief uh, in democracy held by the leaders and the rule of law. And Mr Key says the island leaders weren't bullied into accepting that position. No, I think there was a unanimous view. It was consensus and there was certainly no need uh, or desire for any kind of vote. Uh, leaders did express their concerns about a number of issues that they see in Fiji. And I will say that it um, took up a little bit of our time in the uh, early afternoon, but it was a small fraction of the day's uh, discussion. While John Key may be keen to play down the importance of Fiji as an issue, it dominates much of the forum discussion. Part of the reason for that is that regional trade deals, including the so-called PESA Plus, an update of the Pacific Agreement on Closer Economic Relations, can't realistically go ahead without Fiji's inclusion. Auckland University's Stephen Rituva says politics aside, Fiji has to be at the table. At the end of the day, PESA Plus is going to be implemented by the private sector in terms of trade. They're the ones who produce, they're the ones who manufacture. And uh, Fiji is the biggest private sector. It's very regional in its outreach as well. And also Fiji is a centre of uh, communication and transportation within the Pacific in terms of goods and services and things like that. So for PESA to be workable, just technically speaking, it has to involve Fiji, otherwise it won't work. Because some of the many small island countries in the Pacific literally rely, like Kiribati, Tuvalu, literally rely on Fiji for survival. So with the issue of Fiji unresolved and island countries forming their own groups, what's the future of the forum? Can it remain relevant to the region and can it achieve the lofty goals set by the founders and continued in this year's communique? In hosting the forum the week of the Rugby World Cup kickoff, the government hoped to showcase the Pacific region to the world. That theme went so far as the traditional retreat matching shirts, this year a black jacket with silver fern, although with so many rugby nations among forum members, leaders weren't so sure they'd keep them on for the games. Well, uh, I don't think so, no, but uh, it's a great jacket. <laughs> Tomorrow night at the no, no, I'll be wearing a red one. <laughs> <laughs> the Papua New Guinea Trade Minister Charles Abel believes there is a place for a large international body. The the larger the group um, and the representation of that group, the better in terms of exercising uh, leverage and muscle in the other bigger fora in the world. I don't think it's good to divide us into into further subgroups. From my point of view, I would encourage more. Uh, through the PIF, that we stay as a regional block and negotiate our issues through that particular block. Some of the sub-issues, yes, we can handle through the smaller fora, but certainly the major economic issues and regional issues should be handled through a large forum. Nui's Premier Toki Talangi is optimistic. He doesn't believe there's a malaise within the forum. Part of the, my concern sometimes is the fact that we get diverted by side issues like Fiji and so on. Well, in fact, we should be looking at what we can do to help ourselves with our economies, build our economies, using our fisheries, using our tourism and so on. We don't have to be donor-dependent. We have the resources in the Pacific, certainly through fisheries, and for some countries through minerals and other resources, that will enable us to be more economically sustainable.
Tokitalangi says the theme of this year's summit, converting potential into prosperity, is a good blueprint for the island countries. But Stephen Rituva warns against that big brother attitude. There's a move towards, if you like, the business discourse, the business ideology, away from addressing poverty, away from development in terms of people's well-being. Prosperity in this particular case, particularly in the context of key, is very much business-oriented. One has to kind of think clearly and very, very carefully, particularly Pacific Island leaders, what it means, what prosperity means. Because their association with Australia and New Zealand over the years has only meant them in a, if you like, subordinate position. Perhaps it's time for them to relook at other options, like Asia, for instance. The director of UNICEF in the Pacific, SAA Ndombe, says the success of the forum lies in making sure that progress is made on the issues talked about each year. For each issue that has been discussed by leaders, it's very important that it's followed up at country level and resourced and operationalized and monitored so that by the next Pacific Leaders meeting, you can be able to report positively on what has happened. Otherwise, then it, it just becomes a, a talk shop, which we don't want. Tonga's Prime Minister, Lord Tuivakano, says the resources are what matter. We'll move forward, especially within the area of tourism, energies, and also fisheries, because different islands have a different stock of pile of, of fish. So. So would you like to see more actual concrete actions and plans coming out of meetings like this? Well, it's, uh, I guess it's a matter of, of its having its countries in the region having dialogue with the development partners because we can all talk about all this, but if you have money, this is the thing that really counts. But a former forum analyst, Roman Grinberg, is less supportive, saying New Zealand and Australia have no idea where they're going with the forum. As a place where the islands talk to Australia and New Zealand, it's relevant. As a place in which free nations talk as equals, it's not, because the islands are very reluctant to say what they think, even on issues of life and death like uh, global warming. Australia and New Zealand have no vision of what they want their integration to be. They want a trade agreement that's about really as far as they're willing to go at this point. But Oxfam's Barry Coates is more enthusiastic about New Zealand's role as chair, which he says is crucial. He says the government now has a chance to build on some of the goodwill created around the summit. Not the Rugby World Cup so much, but the whole Pacific Showcase was absolutely brilliant. You, know, you look at people coming to Auckland from all around the world, and you know, instead of promoting New Zealand business and things like that, actually they dedicated it to a week to showcase the Pacific, and, and that's brilliant. So you know, the, there are some things around that goodwill uh, that New Zealand can use in order to be able to bring the forum together, to tackle some of the difficult issues, how, how can these bodies become more effective and accountable, and I think over the next year, hopefully, we might see some real progress. I'm Megan Whelan from Radio New Zealand International, and that's Insight for this week. The programme was written and presented by me, Megan Whelan. It was produced by Philippa Tolley, and technical production was by Stephen Burridge.